Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Beginning in verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And the disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? and of the end of the world. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Take heed that no man deceive you. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so blessed already, Lord, that you've enabled us not only to sing hymns and psalms, but Lord, that you gave us an understanding as we sing those hymns and psalms of the wonderful, merciful grace of God in Christ Jesus. My Father, how I pray that you would help us this morning as we open up this portion of Scripture. Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say unto us this day. Help us, Father Lord, to be aware and alert of this exhortation of which Christ spoke of so many years ago, and that, Lord, it is so relevant now, even in our times, the dangers of deception. Help us, dear God, as your children. Though we rest and trust in your providence and your sovereignty, help us not to be slothful or negligent, but help us to be alert and awake. Lord, I pray that you'd wake our sleeping hearts and minds, that we might ever be ready and watchful for thy coming and the end of this world. Father, if there be, and surely there are many amongst us this morning that know not Christ, I pray that, Lord, you'd burden their hearts about the urgency of this exhortation, and that, Lord, you would compel them, draw them by your grace to Jesus Christ, that they might know him. Lord, we love you and thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I feel so blessed that the Lord providentially uh, led our brothers and sisters here to teach us to sing the Psalms. It is amazing, and I am richly enjoying uh, singing the Psalms along with hymns. It's a great blessing, <clears throat> and I thank the Lord for that. This morning, I wish to preach on a subject which, in my 40 years as a believer, I myself have heard very little of. Not to say that it hasn't been proclaimed, for I have not been on every continent or every state and church throughout America or the world. But in 40 years, I've traveled extensively, and I must confess in all my travels and in all the sermons I've heard, few have mentioned this subject of which we're speak, preaching on this morning, in any lengthy matter. They speak on it briefly and yet pass over it. Almost as though it is a subject which God's people are themselves above or immune to. 
that there's no way any of God's people could ever fall victim to it. And yet our text is spoken directly to Christ's disciples in private. This is not a public meeting. The disciples came unto Christ privately and asked Him. So Christ is declaring this unto His disciples privately. The subject matter of which I speak of this morning is deception. Take heed that no man deceive you. Now, when our disciples asked the Lord what would be the sign of His coming into the end of the world, I'm sure His first response took them by surprise. He doesn't speak of earthquakes and wars and famines and pestilences first. He doesn't speak of afflictions and hatred and killing of disciples first. He doesn't speak of great tribulation. But the very first words that come out of His mouth are simply these. Take heed. Beware that no man deceive you. Which leads us to the question. Is it possible that even God's people can be susceptible to deception? I didn't say lose their salvation but themselves be deceived. Is it possible? Not to the condemning of their eternal soul. I don't mean it in that way. For they are always under the watchful care of our sovereign God. But temporal. And that to the heartache and sorrow of the believer. Is it possible that Christians in this world, though truly saved by God's grace, is it possible that they can be deceived by someone? Well, according to our Lord's response to their question, I believe we can answer assuredly, yes. This divine subject, like other divine subjects, which appear to be difficult to comprehend, being the divine truth of God, many choose to rest in order to fit their own theology and understanding of God. You ever noticed that man just seems, especially when he begins to understand doctrine and theology, he seems to want to give people the opinion that there's nothing about God or His truth that he does not understand or cannot comprehend. That's why we have so many people believing so many different things. When we abide by the divine rule of interpreting Scripture with Scripture, and I hope and pray that we all understand that, you want to interpret Scripture, let other Scripture interpret that Scripture. Yet, let us be reminded that Scripture we're interpreting Scripture with is divinely inspired then why are we often surprised and troubled when its interpretation doesn't fit our or complement our own ideas and theology or thoughts concerning God? It is Scripture, which is divinely inspired of God, which is interpreting Scripture, which is divinely inspired of God. Isaiah, prophet Isaiah spoke these words. 
but to this man concerning God and his people, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poured of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Sometimes we take these doctrinal truths that we understand so lightly as though um, we're not humbled by them. We interpret Scripture with Scripture, and yet, again, I emphasize that. It's divinely inspired word with divinely inspired word. And beloved, sometimes we're going to come out at the end of that going, you know, I don't really truly comprehend to the fullness what God is saying. And yet in this day and age, as in every, we get the opinion from some that there's nothing about God or His word that they cannot comprehend. How can you talk about God's people being deceived when they're kept by the power of God? Let Scripture interpret Scripture. And stop interpreting yourself. I like what Luther said in that song, A Mighty Fortress. He said, Lass das Wort Gottes stehen, in German. In English, is leave the Word of God alone. Let it speak for itself. Well, it doesn't fit into my idea of theology. It doesn't matter. Let it speak for itself. There's going to be a lot of things about God that we do not fully comprehend, and yet we by faith must believe that that's exactly what God said to be. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, verse 4, uh, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Though Christ declares that many shall be deceived, he extends this divine exhortation to even his disciples, that they too might not be taken up in such deception. Take heed, beware, that you not be deceived, that no man deceive you. For many shall come and deceive many. So you see, even though he does say that many shall be deceived, he extends this exhortation even to disciples when he says, take heed that no man deceive you. In other words, you can also be deceived. The deception in these last days before Christ returns and the world ends in the judgment of God shall be so powerful that were it not for God's sovereign protection of his own people from such deception, that even the very elect, he says in verses 24 and 25, would be deceived. Look in verse 24 and 25. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch, this is how powerful it is, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. I like how the Holy Spirit through Christ, use the word very elect. He's saying it's only by God's sovereign power that you're not deceived. Now God's going to protect you. He's going to guard you. It's going to be very powerful, but that in no way, in no manner, gives you the liberty to be thoughtful and not diligent. He still says, but you need to take heed that you be not deceived. Amazing, isn't it? I hear my theological brethren now saying, oh, wait a minute, you're casting doubt on God's sovereignty. And no, I'm not. I'm just speaking the words of God. If, even if it were possible, he said, in so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Even by Christ saying it in that form, he's saying the only way that God's people will never be totally deceived to destruction is because of God's sovereign protection. But it still does not give us liberty to be negligent and indifferent, but to watch, be careful. Take heed.
many in their haste to understand and interpret the signs of Christ coming in the end of the world have completely overlooked and ignored these first words of exhortation. They quickly speed over these words because they think, well, I'm a Christian, that can't happen to me. Let's just move on to the earthquakes and the wars and the kingdoms against kingdoms and the famines and the pestilences. Let's get on to the tribulation. Let's get on to these weightier matters. This can't happen to me because I'm a Christian. It's not intended for things. So they hastily go over it just so they can finally get to the signs and be able to interpret them. And oh, prophecy is a big thing, always has been, will continue to be. Man prides himself in thinking that he can read the future, so they skip right over it. There's a reason why our Lord said these words first. Because if you'll read chapters 24 and 25, everything's founded on this first exhortation of being watchful. Whether it be the virgins or be awake like in the day of Noah, it comes when they're eating and eating and drinking, marrying, giving marriage, or not prepared till the floods come. The good servant, the evil servant, everything is built on this. Be careful, take heed that no man deceive you. And then he builds on that the next two chapters. So it's all built on this one exhortation. Yet so many, in their haste to interpret the coming of the Lord and the end of the world, they ignore it. I pray we not this morning. For the deception, beloved, and pay heed to this, for the deception of which Christ speaks is more sorrowful than that of wars and rumors of wars, of nations rising against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms, of famines, of pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. The Lord said this is the beginning of the sorrows, but this deception of which he speaks is even more sorrowful than those things. It's more painful than being hated, offended, betrayed, afflicted, even the killing of the body in verses 9 and 10. It's more painful from that. You know why? Because the deception of which Christ speaks is the deception that can destroy the very soul of man. The power and measure of deception which shall usher in His coming and the end of the world is not only great, but leads to the greatest heartache and sorrow and eventually to the very destruction of the soul. Do you know that men, women, children, they die because of false doctrine? They go to hell because they don't know the truth. You know the creature in Revelations that has a tail like a scorpion and goes about and stings people and poisons them? You know what most commentators and historians say is a picture of false doctrine. People go to hell because they're deceived. You say, wait a minute, you're ruining the doctrine of predestination and all this. No, I'm telling you, people go to hell not only because of sin, but because they're deceived. Deception is what helps or guides people into destruction. And the Lord says, this is how important this is. Men are going to come and deceive many, and by that deception, many shall ruin their own souls. The deception of which Christ warns is not a deception in general, but a deception concerning the things of Christ. Look in verse 5. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. A false Christ. You have a false Christ, what happens? You die and go to hell. The deception concerns the things of Christ. Look in verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. This deception concerns the things of Christ. 
There were many who foolishly believe that doctrine has nothing to do with man's salvation. I don't believe in doctrinal regeneration, but you have to understand things about Christ before you can get saved. It's not an ignorant salvation. Many are going to come in my name and deceive many. Take heed that no man deceive you. And he's talking to his disciples. And evidently from the other Gospels at this moment, there's only four of them. He's talking to them four. He's talking privately to them. Take heed that no man deceive you. And yet, there are many professing believers today who foolishly believe that they are above such deception, that they are so well grounded in the faith that they cannot be shaken or deceived by any man. That's why I say this, this subject is of vital importance for us, especially in these days when the signs of Christ are amongst us. Signs of Christ's coming are here, and the end of the world are here, closer than ever before. The deception, the spirit of deception will be so powerful that Christ says, again in verse 24, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. That's how powerful it is. So if you're not converted, if you're not saved by God's grace this morning, you have no power against this deception. It's going to suck you in to the destruction of your soul. Yet there be many Christians who say that cannot possibly happen to a believer. It's impossible. Could that possibly also be what Jude warns us about to those who creep into the house of God and the church of God and change the grace of God into lasciviousness, looseness? Why do we believe that simply because God is sovereign... And his grace is sovereign. And that we're saved by his grace alone, without the works of the flesh, without the works of the law, that God requires nothing of us in, re in regards to responsibility and perseverance and watchfulness and diligence. What do they do with all those scriptures? I was thinking about this this morning as I was pondering this text even more. What do they do with all those scriptures? Strive to enter at the straight gate. Fight the good fight of faith. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Contend for the faith. Uh, persevere. What, what do they do with all those scriptures? Paul said the best in 1 Corinthians. He said, Therefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Oh, I can't be deceived. I'm of the elect. It's amazing how when man becomes a little bit of a knowledge about God, he gets pharisaical in his opinions, just like the Pharisees. Oh, no, we're, we're, not, we're not like these men. We're not like these sinners. Thank God I'm not like this guy. Oh, no, I read Scripture. I know Scripture. Oh, we're not born of fornication like you are, Christ. No, we're of, the, we're of Abraham. We're of Abraham. We're the elect. Nothing can happen to us. Nothing can happen to us. It doesn't matter what you do. And when you say something like that, they say, well, you know, God is sovereign. He knows all things. Yeah, he knows all things. Yes, he's sovereign. But he doesn't, he doesn't permit us to be lazy and indifferent. He calls us to be diligent. He exhorts us to persevere, to run the race, to fight the good fight, to put on the whole armor of God, <gasps> to take heed. Take heed that no man deceive you. 
Christ leading his exhortation towards his own disciples that they take heed that no man deceive them. And his exhortations in the following two chapters to watchfulness and diligence proves, dearly beloved, that though his chosen are preserved and protected by God's sovereignty, yet they were not excused from being watchful nor permitted to be lazy and indifferent. Again, that confounds and dumbfounds the theologians who claim to know everything about God. They can't put these things together. I believe in the sovereignty of God, but I also believe in the servitude of man. Take heed that no man deceive you, he said. Even Paul, in his his epistle to the believers at Rome, would exhort them to avoid them who, by good words and fair speeches, would seek to deceive the hearts of the simple. That's those who are not cautious enough to avoid deception, ready to believe every word. Look over in Romans chapter 16. Look what Paul says. I want you to see this. This, this, this exhortation to watchfulness against deception and avoiding anything that's deceptive is throughout Scripture. Look at Romans chapter 16. We all know what Romans is about. We all know that it's justification by faith without the works of the law. We have the key, the key actually to salvation in Romans. And Paul writes it. But look what he says at the end of it. Romans chapter 16, beginning verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Mark them and avoid them. Deception. Mark them and avoid them. Why? For they are such, uh, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad therefore on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Now what an exhortation at the closing of such an amazing epistle. In chapter 1, Paul greatly commended them for their faith, which he said was spoken of throughout the whole world. Chapter 1, verse 8. He commends them for a great faith that not only the local people understood and seen and acknowledged, but he said spoken throughout the whole world. And here in verse 19, he said their obedience, which was come abroad from all men, their faith and obedience was well known by many. And yet Paul says, you've got to be careful that you don't let yourself be deceived. Mark them and avoid them. Isn't that amazing? Well, you don't understand. I, I've, I've stuttered the, studied the doctrines of grace. I know the five points of Calvinism and no, there's there's no way. I, I am I'm in the stage of being undeceived. You're already in the snares of deception because you're deceiving yourself. Let me ask you a question. We'll just look at the small little moments in our Christian life. Ask yourself the question from the time that you were saved till now, how many times you thought you really believed something that you learned later wasn't actually really the truth. 
And he went, oh, I didn't know that. I thought, yeah, you see? And because if God has given us knowledge and understanding of Scripture, that makes us even the greater mark for those who would seek to deceive. You've got to be careful all the time because if the seducers and evil men which deceive and deceive or deceive themselves, we'll find out in Timothy, are out there, if they don't deceive us, you know what? We have something within our own bodies that deceives us all the time. It's called our hearts. We deceive ourselves into believing we're something that we're not. Deceive ourselves to believing that we know something we don't. Deception is everywhere. But Paul calls on these Christians to, to watch, to mark them and to avoid them. He also mentions and implies that there are simple believers, simple-hearted believers. That's not ignorant believers. That's just believers that are not cautious enough to avoid deception. They're, they're ready to believe every word. There are such believers in the church, and we as Christians, if we're older, Romans 14, Romans 15, we should watch over them carefully, and we should guard over them carefully. We would seek to instruct them in, in the things of God. We're, we're bound to watch over one another in love, to provoke one another to love. And to, that's the whole function of a church, and yet people say they don't need a church today. We won't even get off into that. If you see a brother sin, isn't that what the Bible says? If you have your offering and you're coming to the altar and you know your brother sinned against you, don't give me your offering. You lay, he sinned against you. Lay your offering down and go to your brother and reconcile things. We're, we're, we're regarded. We're responsible for one another, dearly beloved, as Christians. We're to watch over one another with love and good works and provoke one another to love and to good works. He said, mark them and avoid them. Be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Be careful. Take heed. Avoid. Be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. The exhortation against being deceived is clear and urgent throughout Scripture. If Eve could be deceived and beguiled while in the perfect surroundings of paradise and while in a perfect state of innocence, how much easier for us to be deceived if we deliberately exposed ourselves to it? Eve was in a perfect environment, perfect innocency, and she was beguiled. How fare we in a fallen state? Sometimes people vainly believe or foolishly believe that, that God saves them in such a way that he does everything in the world for them and there's nothing left for them to do. They just sit back, oh, God's not going to let that happen. I'm just going to skip through this life. I'm just waiting here for God to come back and everything's according to God. If I sin, it's God's divine uh, sovereignty that I sin. If I make mistakes, it's okay. I don't have to repent. I repented one time. All my sins are forgiven and I'm just sitting here just waiting. God's going to do everything for me. He's going to take care of everything. I don't read that anywhere in Scripture. Christ distinctly said, take heed. Beware. Watch for danger. Why, Christ? That no man deceive you. For many are going to be deceived. And if it were not by the sovereign power and grace of God to keep and preserve you, it would even deceive you. 
But he says that still doesn't permit you to be lazy and not watchful. Why is that so important? Well, for many reasons. But one, let me give you my way of example. In over 35 years as a pastor, while contemplating this passage of Scripture this last week, I thought about so many people that I ministered to or others had ministered under to that I knew who are, to in, who are today at this present moment nowhere near a church, nowhere near praying and reading Scripture like they did in the beginning. Too many of them. And I asked myself, looking at the Scripture, did they not take heed? Oh, well, if they were the elect of God, they wouldn't know. That's not what I'm... Did they not take heed? Why does the Lord say that? Because many are deceived. Many, are de... many deceive themselves into believing that they're Christians when they're not. That's why it's so important. We can deceive ourselves so much that we actually believe that we're a child of God. The five foolish virgins says, hey, I'm dressed the same. i got the same lamp. I'm ready to go. But when the bridegroom came back, what was missing? The most important, most significant thing, oil in their lamps. Lord, have we not done great things in thy name? Have we not prophesied? Have we not healed? Have we not done this? Lord says, I don't know who you are. They were deceived. They deceived themselves. This is very, very important, not only for the assurance of our salvation, but that we as God's people not fall into heartache and sorrow by, by exposing ourselves to those that would deceive us. We don't fight against them. That's why, that's why one reason why I got off Facebook, because I got tired of people fighting against each other, but we don't sit there and fight against them and battle with them and all this kind of stuff. We avoid them. We mark them. We avoid them. Anything or anyone that seems to be deceptible, the Scripture teaches us to avoid it, to go away from it. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verse 13, listen to this. Follow me down through chapter 4. Listen to the words of Paul. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, you know what a deceiver is? Before I read any further, let me give you a definition of a deceiver so you'll understand. A deceiver is someone who is persuaded of the goodness or innocence of error and wickedness and endeavors to persuade others to it. I thought that's a wonderful Definition of deceiver. Someone who is persuaded of the goodness and innocence of error and wickedness and endeavor to persuade others to it. They actually truly believe their error is right. And that their wickedness, what they're doing, is right. And they go, oh, you can do that too. You can do that. Shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Isn't it amazing? They deceive and also they're being deceived. But continue thou, here it is, look at the exhortation. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. You see the exhortation? Beware, 
And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Here's how we protect ourselves against this, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, and all good works. I charge thee therefore, because of what he just said, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead is appearing in his kingdom, there's his coming again, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itchy ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Do you see that? Deception. Paul speaking of the same thing. Deception. They're going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. What do you do, Timothy? What do you do? You preach the word. You preach the word. You remember scripture. You stay in scripture. This won't deceive you. My wife and I was talking yesterday about how things change all the time. The world's always changing. It can change in it. You, I think we all know that. But you, you know your circumstances of life can change in a moment. In a moment. In a moment. A tragic happens within a moment. You get a phone call. Something happens. Changes in a moment. We thought about people we've known over the years and people that we had good fellowship in Germany that we don't have any contact with anymore. And some of them has completely dropped off the end of the world. And I told her, I said, well, this, this world is ever changing. It's ever changing. There's nothing consistent in this world. There's only one thing that's consistent, and that's God. He's the only one that doesn't change. He's the only one that doesn't change. In all the 40 years, I can tell you I've seen people and friends and neighbors and families that changed. Life circumstances changed. God's never changed. Never changed. Stay in Scripture. Take heed. First John two twenty six. He said, "These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you." He's talking to Christians. First John two twenty six. That seduce you. Why are they trying to seduce Christians? Well, doesn't that sound like Satan? We'll get that in a few minutes, but you know why the Lord says this in the context of his coming and end of the world? It's because deceivers come at people when they're most vulnerable. And right now, people are most vulnerable. You know why? Because they're seeing famines, pestilence, earthquakes, wars. They're seeing all these things, and they're vulnerable. So they're coming in and saying, listen, I'm a prophet. I'm, I'm of Christ. Deception always comes at us when we're most vulnerable. Satan didn't try to tempt Christ until he was weakened after 40 days of fasting. And even then, Christ was too much for him, but still, he waited till he's weak in the flesh. They come when we're most vulnerable. That's why you have so many people leaving churches, making up their own thing, doing their own religion. They're vulnerable, and they're, they're listening to these deceptions. You don't need church. Sit at home and listen to the Internet, or you don't need the Bible. You don't need a preacher. You don't need all these things. You know, let's just do our own thing. And I'm telling you, it's very, very powerful, even now, this era of deception. They seduce you. First John 4, 1 John said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because 
Many false prophets are gone out of the world. Now, John says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits where they are of God. John's not saying, okay, what you need to do is sit back and say, okay, let me see if this is the Spirit of God. Mm, no, nope, don't feel like the Spirit of God. That's not what he's implying. He's implying try the doctrine. Try their teaching. Check them out. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they're... Why? Because many false prophets are gone out. Why does he give that exhortation to God's people? Because you have to be aware of that. Be not deceived. And I'm telling you, we don't understand the measure of this deception. Alone over the last six or seven years as, as pastor in the different places I've pastored, I've seen people do and say things that I know they wouldn't have done when they were younger and more alert. I know that they wouldn't have trusted themselves to say or do those things when they were young Christians and still a little ignorant about God's Word, but suddenly they learn a little bit about God and suddenly they're their own spiritual instructors. And they're able to teach and tell others what they need to do and how they need to live for God. It's a spirit of deception. But they don't believe that. You honestly believe, man, it's not, pri not too prideful to say, oh, I've been deceived. This is one reason why it's hard to deal with people who's been in a religion for so many years. In Germany, it's really hard. I mean, religion has had uh, thousands of years of time to concrete people. Well, my grandfather, great-grandfather, and his grandfather, they were all Catholics or Protestants or whatever it is. They've been that for centuries. I can't change now. Look at Second John. Stay with me a few more minutes. Second John. Second John, beginning verse seven. Listen to what it says: For many deceivers are entered into the world. That was back in John's day. What do you think they are now? And many deceivers are in and of the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves. There's that exhortation again. Oh, we don't need to worry about them. We're beyond deception. I'm, I'm, I'm the elect. I'm of God. God's not going to let that happen to me. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Oh, John's not talking about Christians. <laughs> How many times have I heard that? Well, the text isn't about Christians. It's about somebody else. First John 1 John 1.9, confess your, your sins. Oh, that's not the Christians. That's to somebody else. Oh, Matthew. No, you don't have to listen to Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. That deals with the Jews and the tribulation. Forget the book of Hebrews because that's not written to you. Look at the heading. It says written to the Jews. Are you a Jew? Then it doesn't apply to you. I can hear him now already. <laughs> Look to yourselves that you lose not. Why do we try to make everything fit in our ideas of theology? Leave the Word of God alone. What's John, Paul, Christ? What are they telling us here? They're telling us that even though we are God's chosen and God's grace shall sustain us and preserve us, we're still called on to be watchful to mark and avoid those that would seek to deceive us or our brothers and sisters.
and it's in the days which lead up to the coming of the Lord and the end of the world that such deception by men shall greatly abound because the signs and sorrows which shall usher in his coming shall make many vulnerable to deception. Look with me in Matthew 24 again, two passages of Scripture. I want you to see this, how the Lord brings these side by side. Look at Matthew chapter 24 and verse 10. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Watch what follows. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, but he that shall endure unto the end, same by shame. Look what follows the being offended, betrayed, and hate one another. False prophets rise up when they're vulnerable. Oh, look at the church. It's a mess. That's not what you want to do. I've found over the last five years, I've seen Christians who held so strong and sturdy on the doctrines of our holy Christian faith really compromise. It might be just small things, compromise things they would have never compromised before because the days are hard and difficult. A little leaven leveleth the whole lump. Start compromising one part, you're going to compromise more than you wanted to. Look in verses 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, and there believe it not, for there shall arise false Christ. See what happens in the great tribulation, troubles? False Christ arise, false prophets show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, <clears throat> excuse me, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I've told you before. He's warning them. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chamber, believe it not. You see that? Follows trouble. So you see the exhortation our Lord gives our disciples or the disciples here in Matthew 24, to take heed that no man deceive you is an exhortation that we must take seriously and not overlook. Because everything Christ says after that verse is built on that. Men are going to deceive many. Take heed they deceive not you. And I will close with one verse in Proverbs which kind of brings everything together. Proverbs chapter 22 in verse 3. Proverbs 27, 12 says the same thing, so it's written down twice. Proverbs 22 in verse 3. Here it is. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. See that? Prudent. Watchful. Diligent. One that looks for danger. What's he see? He sees the evil. What's he do? He hides himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. Take heed, dearly beloved, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come and deceive many. May God give us grace to be watchful. Amen. Watchful over ourselves and watchful over one another. And may God in his grace and his mercy keep and preserve us 
Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this divine exhortation, so necessary, so needful in this day and age. So many people are vulnerable right now. We passed out many flyers. Lord, we pray that you'd bless those. We pray that the word of God would pierce the hearts of those who read it. But Father, we know that, Lord, we've cast those flyers out into an abyss of deception. Lord, so many people professing, Lord, to know Christ, so many deceptions, so many seducers and evil men seducing and being seduced, and Father, deceiving and being deceived. I pray, Father, that in the midst of all that, the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ would shine forth and reveal unto them their need of Christ. Help us to ever be alert and watchful, Lord God, of our own souls as well as those of our dear brothers and sisters. Help us, Lord God, we pray to take this exhortation of Christ seriously, Lord, that we would take heed in these latter days, that no man deceive us, Lord. And Lord, to do that, I pray that we'd keep our hearts and our minds fixed on Thee, and as Paul's exhortation to Timothy, that, Lord, we'd search out the Scriptures, we'd preach the Word of God, and, Lord, we pray that You would be honored and glorified in all of these things, for we ask them in Christ's name.